You're listening to Ink Studs, Canada's number one contribution to the humanities since 2005. Now, I am not Robin McConnell, the host of Ink Studs, because, as you may be aware, uh, Robin has embarked on a journey of self-discovery. And in order to finance this journey of self-discovery, he has gladly leased the Ink Studs program to the United States of America. So, my name is Joe McCullough. I have been selected entirely at random from the phone book to represent the United States of America today. And what we're going to do in the spirit of patriotism is we're going to uh, discuss a story of comics in the United States. It's a story of a very special time and place, the 1990s, when bold artists set off to chart their own destinies, even as the breeze of affluence became a hurricane of tears. That's right. So, um, who, who is my guest today? Will he please introduce himself? I have no idea. Uh, this is, for those of you who may remember, uh, it's probably not many of you, my name is uh, Trevlin Butts, uh, and uh, back in the uh, uh, mid to late 1990s, I was the author and illustrator of a dark and sort of gothic little book called uh, Donna Mia. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's me. That's right. Uh, so let's let, let's just start at the beginning because I've been in preparation for this uh, this spectacular episode. I've been looking through a lot of the things you've um, written uh, throughout the years, and I get the impression that you're a little bit like me in that you began reading comics when you were very young, and then just stopped for a while and started again as an adult. Is that fair? Yeah, you know, I mean, at least for people my age at that particular time, you know, reading comics was just something that you did. You didn't really think about it. Maybe these days, everybody seems so much more self-aware now than 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 they were <laughs> then. But I would go, you know, go to the drugstore and they would have the little racks with the threefers and what have you, and you would just pick up whatever caught your eye. Uh, I at least I never thought of collecting comics. I just I just read them. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Um. So. So what uh, what had happened to set you on the course for uh, drawing then? You know, I always drew. It was just something that I, I did. I uh, There's not very much guidance in America since we're talking to Canada. Hello, Canada. Thank you for being our neighbor. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're disappointed with us for one of many various and sundry reasons, but we like you. Um, you know, I, I've always drawn, and it's it, like I say, there's not much guidance for creative people in America. You don't really know what to do with a, a creative bone in your body. You know, if you're good at math, they say be an accountant. If you're good at making logical arguments, they say, oh, you know, be a lawyer. But if you can draw or write, they look and go, I, um, yeah, sorry, kid. So, you know, I, again, it was something I always did. I, I came from a family of people, and both my parents worked for the government. They were not creative people innately, uh, you know, in the way that we usually think of it. And so uh, they were just, they encouraged me. They never discouraged me, but they also never really thought about it being any kind of career. So, uh, like I say, it was just something I, I, I kind of did without any thought of what to do with it until I, I went to art school when I w- went to college and found that to be fairly useless and full of bullshit um being a painter you know there's a degree in fine arts is in well oh that's fine but what are you gonna do for a living um and i took me quite a few years to figure it out so so geographically um, where where is this is this in the southern united states you're going to school or it was it was i'm i'm not down that way now alas i wish i were um 
But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm from uh, Richmond, Virginia, All right. capital of the South. Yeah, and so, uh, I believe yeah. just to seg our way through this, uh, there was a there was a comic book <laughs> store operating in Richmond, Virginia at the time called Realm of Fantasy, which was run by a guy named Mario Russo. And uh, and how ha- how did your path That's cross right. with Mr. Mario Russo? Wow, man, you do know your you know your stuff here. Yeah, it was completely happenstance. That's what's funny about it. I like I said, I I stopped reading comics at some point about the time that they started doing subscriptions. Oddly enough, one of my comic books that I read when I was a kid, or, or later on, was oh, the Micronauts. Of course, uh, if you Michael remember Dalton. that. Hey, it's, 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 yeah, to, and you know, sort of a spinoff of the toys, and I, I enjoyed it. Later, it kind of went off the rails, but when it went into subscription, I was puzzled. I'm like, you mean I can't <laughs> go into the drugstore anymore and buy it? Well, the heck with that, boy. You know, uh, basically that and Batman and just a couple of other titles. Uh, you know, uh, and I so I just sort of put it away. You know, when it went to something where you couldn't just do it in the moment, uh, that was that. And so years pass. I, I've gone to to college got this useless degree in fine arts uh i'm doing this and doing that trying to figure it out and i moved back up uh from uh, i'd moved down to virginia beach for a while moved back to richmond into these uh, little uh, apartments full of young swinger types and uh at the same day i was moving in there was this other guy that was moving in next door and he was moving in a drawing table i'm like hey are you an artiste and he's like yeah i'm a comic book artist <laughs> and i said because I, you know, I, I I had no idea what the state of the art was, and he said, "Well, hey, I just got my first assignment to do a a story in an anthology. You want to work on it with me?" And I said, oh, "Silly man, comic books are for children." And he showed me *Sin City* by Frank Miller, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, the, the, a lot of other things. I'm like, "Wow, okay, uh, why not?" And uh, so yeah, it turns out that he had gotten. An assignment from from good old Mario over at Realm of Fantasy. You know, I had no idea the place was there, but I drove by it every day, and uh, yeah, it just sort of took off from there. It was very organic. Uh, you know, the first story came out, and we got a lot of mail about it. And Mario said, "Guy, you want your own book?" I'm like, "Sure, <laughs> Mister." <laughs> so who so who, who was this um, artist that you met? You know, I don't know whether I, I'm always I always want people to be careful oh, with that's my fine. name, that's so fine. I, I want to be careful with theirs too. I don't know if he's still in the industry or if he's not. You know, he he uh, some things happened later that sort of took him off to another place, and so I'll just say it was one of the one of the guys that that worked with Mario. Uh, that's fine. When that's he fine. Was now, at, um, yeah. at some point, because you, um, and this is just my calculation, may, maybe I'm wrong, because one of the things is when you're dealing with these small publishers that kind of existed in like the American South and the American Midwest in the 1990s, there's, there's a lot of conflicting information. There's not a lot of yeah. documentation, basically, because a lot of the, the only magazines or, or whatnot, as it is in comics, that would deal with these would deal with them like strictly on the basis of here's a comic that's coming out, here's a preview of what's happening. And so sometimes it's difficult to tell like what was even published and what isn't. Nonetheless, from my calculations, I think uh, Dark Fantasy Productions, uh, related to Realm of Fantasy, the comic book store, the publisher yep. Dark Fantasy Productions produced, not counting yep. uh, variant covers or early runs or et cetera, et cetera, produced 15 individual comic books. Uh, of which you were somehow involved in, I believe, ten of them. 
and yeah, uh, that's a lot of stuff. And you yeah. first appeared in uh, Dark Fantasies, the anthology, in uh, two colors, black and red, blood red. Uh, <laughs> that's right. In, uh, in 1994, <laughs> and at this point, you were kind of existing under bo- both as yourself, but under the brand of a studio, and that studio was called Full Moon Graphics, I believe. Yeah, that was almost half a half a joke. It was a thing where we were sitting around the studio one day, and I did this drawing of this uh, <laughs> naked witch on a broom, <laughs> and I said, "Hey, you know, let's use this." Ha ha ha! The weird thing about it was that we were all pretty young, or at least young at heart, and you know, nobody had any idea what we were doing. I don't think even you know Mario knew the most about how to put a book together and put it out and even that at that time probably wasn't that much so we just sort of yeah, did whatever yeah. kind you, of uh, kind you, you of actually had at a the phone time. number yeah. for full moon graphics in the comics and I, I'm kind of wondering did anyone ever call the phone number or yeah actually uh, all the time people would call up <laughs> and that was really the reason that I, I, I did it uh, that I did any of it uh, was that I enjoyed talking to people and I still do which is why you and I are talking today I enjoyed talking to people who enjoyed the book. And like by that I mean not just who read it and said, "Ah, oh, it's cool, you know, tits and blood and blah, you know, that's not really so the people who actually took time to notice things. I'm a detail guy. If you look at my work, I love little things that I tuck away in corners. And when people would find that stuff, I was always so happy. So people <laughs> would call up at two o'clock in the morning, I had a guy call from England. Uh, people from all over the place saying, yes. hey, mate, I love your book, you know, oh, thanks so much. <laughs> um, you know? Because so like, there wow, was a couple hey, doing, uh, artists working with you at the time. How did you How did you meet up with this uh, group of people, actually? Like, how did it come together? Again, it was just happenstance. I happened to be standing in the right place at the right time. I mean, that's how so much of life seems to occur. I mean, everything that's happened to me, uh, most of which has been good, has been uh, just good hmm. fortune and then maybe a little bit of skill, but <laughs> I hadn't yeah, been there. Was, it was, was all, issue it all two just kind of came together. Your it was, again, first, it was like, very organic. comics work, by the way. Uh, yeah, it sure was. It never never really even thought of doing it. When I was in high school, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, who I will mention <laughs> because he might listen to this one day, my friend Alan Schoolcraft. Hi, Alan. Um, it, it, uh, and I used to sit around and draw science fiction, science fantasy kind of things. But really, just for our own satisfaction. But the idea never occurred to me that anybody yeah, was out there so, doing it for so a living. So knowing that, just sort of um, beyond my because the first story you did, it was titled "The Unnatural Selection," um, and that was um, it. It has a character in it that's basically the same look as Donna Mia, the character you would draw for much of your uh, work in professionally publishing comics, but I don't think it's quite the same character in the context of the story. So what I'm wondering is, did you have the image of this character beforehand, or was it something that just kind of happened while you were drawing and you stayed with that character? Uh, You know, I I think I always sort of had an archetype uh, in in my mind of, of who my default storyteller might be. In this, uh, you know, when I came aboard, some of the drawings were were already done, albeit very roughly, uh, and you know, in a sort of very gestural manner. And I, I kind of went in. It's funny because when you look at that book, if I remember it, I haven't seen it in years now, but mm-hmm. you can sort of see that there are two styles kind of trying to come to terms with each other in the drawings. 
and you can tell which ones I, I did. I think if I remember pretty obviously, because again, you've got all this tiny line work, and uh, so yeah, it it was it was in there somewhere. And when again, when when people sort of responded to it, uh, I, I was like, okay, here we go. You know, without too much thought to it. I guess the rest of it kind of, you know, coalesced yeah, yeah. around that. Some of it had already that, been that done. So is, that is there like, yeah. a, like a chronology to how this was drawn? Because you mentioned that you uh, eventually got a Donamia series that was a color series that was put out by uh, uh, Dark Fantasy Productions, but you were also doing shorts throughout much of the run of uh, Dark Fantasies, the anthology. So was was there was there a point where you were drawing them, where you were drawing these things simultaneously, yeah. or did one come before the other, or was it all kind of mixed together? It was all pretty, it was all pretty serially done. I mean, the way that we were doing it at that time, you know, this is, I mean, some people I'm sure had scanners and Photoshop and that sort of thing. And again, at that time when I thought of being an artist or whatever, I had a computer, but I, I wasn't you know, really at the cutting edge of, 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 of the graphics revolution. So a lot of what you see there was, you know, the, 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 the word boxes were actually yeah. pasted on the, uh, the little tails, or as I call them, the <laughs> who said that's uh, H-U-S-E-D-A-T, by the way, the who said that, um, uh, was painted in, <laughs> in with whiteout. Um, and uh, it, it all just, again, we just sort of figured, what's the best way to do this? I don't know. Let's do this. Um, so... Uh, the first, the, the the one in issue two, all got done of a piece, and then uh, again Mario said, "Hey guy, why don't you do a, 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 an ongoing story?" Mm-hmm. And so we would just sort of, I knew what the general story was I wanted to tell, and I would do an outline and sort of say what's the theme of the story. But the actual dialogue, or more often monologue, because Donamia is a lonely, lonely girl. Um, uh, was sort of done on the fly as, as we went and we would finish up one and then kind of move on to the next and I had an outline of knowing where the story was going uh, that, that went mm-hmm. a really long um, way there's so still an at this awful point, lot we're going behind from it never got done unfortunately into 1995 as uh, Dark Fantasies continues as the Donamia series which we'll get to in a second begins but at this time you seem to be aware because I notice in the uh, letters column the, the short lived uh, Dark Fantasies letters column you you have a uh, drawing of uh, Donamia dressed in a uh, I'm not Vampirella <laughs> sign she's holding up and that that indicates to me that you were aware at that time that there was a whole wave of comics coming out that I I think essentially started in 1992 with uh, Brian Polito's uh, Evil Ernie supporting character Lady Death and the Harris Comics revival of Vampirella by Kurt Busiek, Louis Small Jr., Jim Ballant. And so there was, there, there was a, a big wave of popularity for uh, comics starring uh, perhaps amoral, often occult-themed uh, anti-heroines that uh, in advertising terms was deemed the, quote, bad girl era. And my impression is that you were aware of this and perhaps ambivalent towards falling under this label. Is, is that fair to say? More than fair. Uh, well done, sir. More than fair. Um, the, the I'm Not Vampirella thing was was uh, uh, actually a, 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 an artist-to-artist joke. At the time that we were doing this, um, some of the guys in the studio had a friend. Uh, again, I hesitate to mention names because I don't know who's doing what now, uh, but it, mm-hmm. it was a, a friend of ours who was well-known who was currently drawing the Vampirella book at that time 
and you know we met he was from the boondocks uh, up in virginia you know uh, most of us were were more or less uh, local to the area and uh we sort of did that as as an as a wink to him because again he was doing uh was was doing vampirella uh and again my chronology might be a little fuzzy i don't know when he started or what have you uh but also like you say it was to sort of say I- i'm not that um because one of the things that I always wanted to try and do with Donna Mia was uh, that, that, that she's, she's wasn't so much a bad girl character. She was a good girl character in a bad situation. Um, she didn't want to be bad, and uh, she hadn't really chosen uh, what it was that she was and what she was doing. And all she really wanted to be able to do was to find the right person yeah, yeah, yeah. and say, you know, so, um, I made a bad choice. I'm really sorry. The right person, uh, when the Donna Mia series <laughs> so. started, there was, um, there was two uh, uh, notable personalities who became attached to that series. And one of them was uh, Michael William Kaluta, who did the covers. And what, was Mario uh, responsible for getting him? Did you meet up with uh, Michael Kaluta or... Uh, you know, again, a couple of the guys, it's, you know, at the least at that time, I don't know about now, but everybody was fairly accessible. Everybody sort of knew or knew of everybody or knew somebody who knew somebody. Yeah. And uh, one of the yes, guys yes. in the studio was friends with one of the guys from the studio, capital T, capital S. And so it was easy enough to reach out to Michael, uh, who's a wonderful guy. I always... Even back in the day, I mean, I remember yeah. reading like, you know, Epic Magazine and that kind of thing and seeing his stuff and going, wow, you know, him, John, John Muth, uh, you know, those were the guys. And then like, you know, heavy metal. I was more attracted in a lot of ways to European comics. Uh, uh, but those guys were the Americans that really, you know, Bernie Wrightson that just really made me go, I want to do that. And so as soon as Mario said, guy. You know, you want to do your own cover? And you have to know Mario. He's from New York, New Jersey. And so, you, guy, that's what he does. You want to do your own cover? I said, no. I, I, he said, well, you know, it's better if you get somebody who's famous. And I said, how about Mike Kaluta? And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, that was Mario. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, yeah, we called him up, and he's like, sure, absolutely. And uh, the funny thing is uh, I think uh, uh, that to this day he's still a little sore uh, at us, or maybe just at me. I don't. I, we talk once in a blue moon, because everything happens so quickly with production. Yeah. I mean, Mario. I love Mario. It was fun working for him. We had a lot of good times. <laughs> but none of us were really very organized people, you know. And it's like, oh God, the four color separation. I forgot. And <laughs> so it's like the night before this thing has got to go to press, and we're like trying to cobble something together, trying to cobble together. Uh, you know, uh, a, uh, a a font and, and a logo and all that stuff. And I don't remember how it got put together. We put the thing together, you know, slapped it together. Nobody really even had time to look at it. And off it goes to the printer. And it's only when it comes back that we look at the cover and realize that it looks <laughs> like what Mike did and what we did, that there's this sort of giant Mickey Mouse ears thing <laughs> going on. And Mike, you know, we talked to him later, and he's like, what's up with the Mickey Mouse ears? And uh, we're like, oh, man. And I think to this day he might blame me for that. And, I, again, I don't remember. It was like, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. I think, you know, we're, like, working in, in like, Corel Draw or something. <laughs> and, you know, we're just lucky to even get out of the door. I mean, like, you know, I can't tell you the number of times that we're like, oh, my God, the halftone. I forgot the halftone. Yes. It's, 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 it's amazing we got a book out at all. So – 
but yeah, Mike, he did another cover after yeah, that. Yeah, in spite of that. of artists, by the way, are you there know, any? And, uh, when you're drawing, because I, was, I would that say that as you're drawing these stories, so. your um, your work is becoming, you, you, your work develops pretty quickly. And I'm wondering, is there any artists you particularly uh, were interested in modeling yourself after, or who really inspired you? Again, I, I would say for some reason, in a lot of ways, I'm an oddball in my my tastes. Uh, uh, but uh, don't don't ask me uh, how I ended up seeing. It. I don't even remember where. But uh, I was very attracted to a lot of the stuff that was in uh, you know heavy metal. A lot of the, the a lot of the European comics. I mean, to this day, I look at those and I look at American comics. No offense, America, but they they just beat the pants off of American comics. Uh, they're the the, the style, the level of the storytelling, the the openness to a variety of styles is just wonderful. And, uh, you know, I, I would look at that stuff. I was actually just for work. I was over in Switzerland uh, 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 a few months ago. And one of the first things I did near the hotel where we stay in Lausanne, there's a comic shop. And I like ran in there and came out with an armful of armful of European books Um but it, in general, I feel like the European yeah, yeah. style has always been attractive to me. The way that they tell stories, it's not the, oh, the fist is cocked back. Now the fist is hitting, you know, Mr. Mysterio. It, there's, it's much more atmospheric. Um, and I was always attracted to that. But then in America, like I say, Bernie Wrightson, Michael Kaluta, uh, John Muth, um, uh, gosh, you know, who, who, who am I forgetting? Uh, um I had to look up here on my, my, my bookshelf and see the few comics I've still uh, got up yeah. here. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of those guys who were more like, you know, artists with a capital yeah, A yeah. Uh, as compared to, uh, so, um, you know, even, so even the best seven of, the, of the, the, the more mainstream Dark guys. You, you wrote a little uh, uh, they, they moved they, they were the guys that really did it uh, for, for the uh, issue. And th I think this kind of encapsulates how kind of, comparatively looser uh, comics was at the time. I mean, it, it, it it's still loose compared to, like, movies or something, but, uh, like, you know, there, there's a, a little photo gallery in the con report where, you know, you're all hanging around with Clive Barker, who did the cover of uh, another one of Dark Fantasy's books, Deep Dark Fantasies. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, and uh, one uh, one of the pictures has just, just sitting around relaxing Oh, uh, yeah, Neil that's right, and I remember this now. That's Neil right, Gaiman yep. Because Neil Gaiman is not a writer but actually a character in the Donamia series that uh, uh, Dark Fantasies produced and uh -huh. published. And how did how did that came how did Neil Gaiman become the uh, the narrator one of the narrators of that comic? This is this is another one of those things where I, I haven't seen him in quite some time. Uh, once in a blue moon, I used to speak to him or his his assistant, the fabulous Lorraine, by phone. But that was years ago. It's not like we were ever you know pals or what have you again it's just a small industry and all of us are sort of you know shuffled together in this big room on occasion to sit around and and do whatever it is that we that we do and kill kill our time not kill our time because it's, it's a lot of fun to be there i shouldn't say that but um it was <clears throat> there was a, a company i don't know if they're still around called the best cutler gallery and they represented artists and uh they uh represented clive barker he was doing paintings at the time and um, Herb was the guy's name, this crusty old guy, uh, old Jewish guy from up in New York or something somewhere, who was kind of their, their, their go-to man. And he was always at shows with us. We'd gotten some covers from him, and he re they represented James O'Barr and all these other guys that were, were sort of 
you know, a, a, a dark feeling sort of guys in the industry at that time. And uh, so we were set up with them. Clive Barker was sitting there at the Best Cutler booth, which was right next to us, because we said, hey, let's, you know, get our booths together at this show. And uh, at some point, I can't remember, I think I think Neil Gaiman came by and was chewing the fat with, with Clive Barker. And again, my memory is very faulty, so if I get this wrong, you'll have to excuse me. But I, I think that at some point, um, one of the guys in the studio and myself had been talking and saying, you know, if, if Donna Mia told her story, you know, right at this time, who would she maybe want to tell it to? Who's got a similar sensibility? Who's doing something this sort of dark, dreamy stuff? And at the time, all I knew about Neil Gaiman was the Sandman stuff that he was doing, which I thought was really terrific storytelling. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's sort of a similar thing. And again, on just like a one conversation strength, we said, you know, <laughs> that'd be cool. <laughs> you know, and... So he came by the booth, and you know, here he is. And we said, "Excuse me, you know, Mr. Gaiman." He's, "Oh, hello, hello." And uh, he said, "You know, we got this idea, you know, for our, our book. You know, here's our book, by the way." And we thought it'd be kind of cool if we had you as a character in our book. And I guess he's sort of, you know, yeah. he's he's an adventurous guy. <laughs> he, he, I guess, he felt like at that time his brand was pretty strong, and he was open to other people kind of messing with it. And maybe he regrets that now. I don't know. Um, but we said, could we use you as like the as, as like the character, sort of a narrator in our book? And he's like, Ooh, well, what do you have in mind? And I said, well, this, this and that. You're going to tell this story. You're going to be a skeptic. But it's sort of like you walked into, as a real person, this kind of unnatural, bizarre thing that you always write about. <laughs> so now you're sort of confronted with the idea that some of this stuff might be real. And, and how, you know, how much of this are, are you willing to believe? He's like, yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> you know? I like okay off we go and I heard that some uh, time later somebody came up to him at a convention and asked him to sign our book and he was very nice about it he's like oh, you know of course I had nothing to do with this I just yeah, I met these guys and they you know they fell off a turnip truck and I was standing there and oh, you know the rest is history and I, I don't sound like him but it's the best I can do I don't know um but he was really always nice about it, but I, I, I'm a little worried that maybe later when he realized what he'd said yes to, that maybe it irked him. But I always worry about other people. Yeah, yeah. Contrary to what some um, people might tell you, there, I worry about other people. Was there a big uh, change to <laughs> feelings, because, like I said before, don't and, and, and I don't know, dark but he fantasy was a great stories story were in uh, so. black and red. Uh, you actually, I think you all stopped using the red after a little while, though, after a couple of them. Uh, but then, w was there a change in working in uh, full color? Because I don't think you worked in full color after the Dark Fantasy series. Yeah, it, it was. It was a huge change. And it was, you know, at the time, you know, Mario, you know, we talked and he's like, guy, you know, you got to, it's good, full color. It's a big thing, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you got to, if you want to really sell books, then you got to go full color. And, uh, and I'm like, ah, you know, I always thought of my story as being these shades of gray. Um, and that's the the style I like to this day when I when I draw on the rare occasions that I draw these days uh, I still work in grayscale uh, as I call it but you know he's like yeah you know you got to do it in full color and I'm like all right and I just felt like uh, again this was sort of when uh, the, the uh, one of the guys was working on the book with me uh, and I was sort of parting ways he had his own things going on and uh, you know he was very fast and loose like right out of the tube with color 
and I was much more about you know mixing and sort of muted things. And so the book really fights mm. itself. Uh, yes. uh, to, um, so uh, to, just to just to give to a little context, this is uh, grips with 1995. The color thing. So I was never really happy with how it all works. And in case in case in case this isn't part of the uh, Canadian education curriculum, I just want to say that uh, 1995 was an extremely difficult year in the uh, North American comic book industry. Uh, it was a it was a year of destruction, really, because there had been a a speculation boom, let's say, uh, regarding the value of comics, as well as just the popularity of certain Marvel Comics artists who had left to form their own uh, publisher, Image Comics, and uh, there was some difficulties with them getting books finished or getting books to stores, which left uh, comic book stores with a lot of comics that nobody <laughs> wanted, and then, uh, crucially, in 1995, uh, I, I'm going to try to keep this maybe insultingly simple, but uh, Marvel Comics attempted to buy, well, they did buy one of the big comic book distributors which triggered something of a of a cavalcade of mayhem and the result the result of that mayhem was by 1996 there was only one surviving comic book distributor in uh, North America of any note good old Diamond Comics distributors <laughs> and Marvel Comics was in bankruptcy and a lot of uh, stores uh, went out of business I think between like 93 and 96 maybe half of the comic book stores in uh, North America had gone out of business. So it was a very, very, very troubling time. And I'm wondering, were, I, I mean, I'm sure Mario was aware as a retailer himself, but were, I, I presume you were aware of how bad it was getting at the, that you were like driving through the hurricane, so to speak? This is one of those things that's hard for me to admit, but uh, the answer is uh, sort of. Um, because again, you have to realize I came from outside of comics. I had I zero interest in superhero comics. I had zero interest in what nine tenths of the industry was doing. I, I sort of liked what I liked. So you know, I, I paid less than no attention to Image or to what these other guys were were, were doing. You know, I was really just thrown into I, I was into what we were into. You know, um, and. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I would hear people talking about, oh, the numbers for this and that are down. The first color issue of, <laughs> of, of, uh, of Donna Mia sold amazingly well. I mean, Mario was thrilled. I, you know, I don't remember the exact number. Somebody could somewhere probably turn that up. Maybe you know it. You sound like you know a lot more than I do, you know. So I was, I was satisfied. I, our, our numbers were really pretty good, if I remember correctly. Mario, you know, was, was – that's the thing about Mario. He's like in for a penny, in for a pound, you know. Uh, he, he really – he had this idea in his head, he, and he was going forward with it. So he had his store. But the thing with Mario is he was so great in so many ways. I, I Again, I don't want to – there's so many stories I could tell you that I probably shouldn't about Mario because he's such a survivor, and the people he worked with were such survivors that he knew you know, that whatever happened, he's like, ah, guy, we'll find a way to do it. Don't worry about it. You know, Because at the time, he was selling video uh, uh, vi videotapes and things at conventions as well. And making a pile of money doing that, and I hope that's okay to say, and that was part of what uh, kept yeah. uh, kept things going. Uh, you know, is that again he had his store and he 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 did brisk business otherwise, and a lot he was just, he was a hustler, yeah, and I mean yeah. that in the best way. I don't mean a hustler like he would cheat you. I mean the guy hustled, and he he knew how to make a dollar <laughs> and how to make that dollar go go where he needed it to. He was very good at that. 
<laughs> so yeah, we didn't so, we didn't so really feel it. Like, you know, I know uh, people there was you know, oh, it's an apocalypse. Say, where, you know, here we are uh, sailing along in our little boat, going, ah, it'll be fine. We'll get the as next far picture. as I can don't tell, worry about it. Ceased releasing you know? comics at some point in 1996, and beginning in January of 1997, another publisher came to the fore, and that publisher was called Avatar Press. And um, Avatar is still around today, actually. It's a top ten comics publisher in the United States. And I'm wondering, when did you first... I'm presume... uh, Clearly you did, because you were actually one of the first artists ever published by Avatar Press. So how did you begin to come into their orbit? Gosh, you know, it's going to sound strange to say it's going to take me a minute to try and think how that worked. Oh, you know what? Now, okay... I'm, it's, I, I, I should have thought what that transition looked like. Oh, excuse me. It's, uh, so, yeah, I actually knew a guy. Uh, it's, uh, I knew a guy who knew a guy uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, one, one of our group of friends out of all the Virginia comic book people who had gone to work uh, for Avatar uh, on one of their early titles. And um, at the time... Uh, you know, with 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 Mario and Dark Fantasies, uh, it's one of those things where you know you're sort of, you're sort of at that moment where you want to make a decision and you go, okay, do I want to keep doing what I'm doing and just kind of keep on like I'm keeping on, or do I want to try and do something different and maybe bigger with this? Try and get it to a bigger audience, get it more organized. Because again, it was a wonderful thrill ride for the ages, but at the same time, it was very mm-hmm. disorganized. It was very you know, seat of the pants, um, and, and you know, and we went to a lot of shows. Mario knew a lot of people, but again, he was very sort of street level uh, with the way that he did things, which uh, which was offset by the fact that he, in a lot of ways, he got what I was doing with my book. He worked with people who were like-minded people. We were all kind of had a similar, you know, we wanted to tell dark vampire types of stories and had a certain sensibility to, to, to our little crew. And Avatar came along and I heard about it through this friend of a friend who said, oh, you know, I this guy's looking for books. You ought to talk to him. And I said, yeah, well, you know, uh, yeah, maybe I probably. will. And, and we, we met, uh, I met uh, William Christensen uh, out in uh, San Diego. Uh, you probably remember what year that would have been, but 1990-something uh, when he was getting rolling. He had a yeah, they're about something like that. Yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, I think I can go gonzo with this. Go gangbusters. I'll promote the hell out of this thing. And, you know, he was he mm-hmm. was hungry, man. He was he was looking to 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 make a dent in the industry. And, um, you know, I could tell he was a businessman. I, I didn't really know much about comics cavalcade <laughs> and, you know, everything he had been doing with that. But, you know, you hear stories uh, uh, about uh, the, the guy that you know, he was in high school. And this is again. If I'm speaking out of turn, then I apologize to whoever's out there. But you know that when he was in high school, he was telling people, "Yeah, I'm starting my own business, comics cavalcade," and they're like, "Oh, geek comic books." Uh, and you know, here he is. All these, I mean, however many years later, 96, 06, 16, 20 years later, and he's still hanging and banging. And I, I, that's just impressive to me. That that says a lot about the man. Um, but even at that time, you could tell he he was ready to take a bite out of this. And I thought, yeah, this might be the guy who can take this to the next level. Um, 
But yes, of course, yes. the question you always have to ask many yourself rooms is, in the mansion of hell. Do I yes. want to take this to the next level? And which next level? Because there's there's yeah, no, there's uh, more just, levels just than way just of one. It's not for, so much uh, a, a stair step um, as it is a William vast <laughs> and Mark Seifert, the, uh, labyrinth. Founders of Avatar Press were also that's retailers right, right. of so I Comics hope I Cavalcade of Urbana, Illinois. Uh, Comics Cavalcade also still exists, albeit as strictly an internet and mail order wing of Avatar Press, of Avatar Press's many wings that it has now approaching its 20th anniversary. Uh, and they were also contributors to Wizard Magazine in the early 90s and briefly editors at Chaos Comics, uh, Brian Polito, Lady Death, and Christensen himself had done some editing at uh, London Night Productions, uh, Everett Hartso's company. Uh, and I guess maybe more pertinently, Comics Cavalcade had gotten into the business of producing exclusive variant covers for various uh, dark-themed, let's say, yeah. uh, comics, such as uh, Razor from uh, London Night, and also uh, Entity Comics, home of Zen Intergalactic Ninja, and uh, other small, almost self-run uh, publishers. And they would put out uh, exclusive variant covers that people could sell at conventions or buy at mail order, and gradually began to get into producing exclusive comics entirely, like insides. The insides of the comics would also be exclusive, and ultimately, uh, you know... I presume Avatar Press was the ultimate uh, result of this. So uh, th this, this long lead into my question is, uh, when you began working with Avatar Press, was there, a, was there like a jump, a noticeable jump in, say, professionalism? Or I don't mean that as an insult or anything, but as uh, was it more streamlined than working for Dark Fantasy? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I guess I really responded to. Um, and again, you know, it, it's one of those things where it, it, it was a tough decision yeah. to make because, again, Mario and his guys were very organic, very seat of the pants, but they got it. You know, it, it's sort of like the fanzine that's really into the scene that you're into. And you talk to these guys and say, yeah, they get it, you know. But that same sort of enthusiasm sometimes comes with, and I mean, most artists and most people in comics are, you know, kind of the flaky dreamer type, and I include myself in that too. Uh, where it's tough to find an organized, you know, businessman. And, uh, you know, to my limited experience, William Christensen certainly was the most, you know, together a guy that I had met. And so I was faced with this, you know, difficult choice of, you know, do I do I keep my book kind of rooted where it, 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 it sprang up from? Because, you know, again, the thing that always meant a lot to me was when people... <laughs> really seemed like they got what I was was about you know I didn't care I had somebody one time asked me ah when do you think your book is just going to blow up and explode and I said I don't care about blow yeah. up and explode and they like look at me like I got bugs on my eyeballs and I said I just want people to read this and the people that get it will get it and the people that don't and they can just go and read you know whatever they can just go read some other funny guy people in guys in capes and tights it's fine I don't care um so, you know, going with, with William, he, they, they obviously knew what they were doing. I, like you say, he'd spent all of this time, you know, from comics cavalcade up, and he's looking at what these other guys are doing. I think he's going, yeah, I could do that. You know, and he learned by doing, you know, and he's going the next step. Oh, I could do that too. Wait a minute, why don't I do that? Why am I peddling these other guys, schlock? Mm -hmm. I could do stuff that's just as good. Now, of course, the thing is, you have to decide whether or not your tastes coincide with William Christensen's taste and Avatar's taste. Um... And at that time, I don't think anybody really knew what that taste was yet. 
um, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So yes, absolutely more professional. Um, but at the same time, I think they were more, it was more in his head somewhere of embracing the, the, the more mainstream idea of what a bad girl book was. And God love him for a wonderful businessman for giving me a chance to do it. He was behind me 110%, and I'm sure he feels like I vanished on him to go off into the mainstream world, which in a lot of ways I guess I did, but mm -hmm. a man's got to do what a man's got to do. But at the same time, the thing that was really the deciding factor <laughs> is that he was much more of a mainstream bad girl. That's the kind of stuff he wanted to tell. You, Everybody knows that knows Avatar knows uh, that, the kind of stuff that they're into. And I think he sort of almost signed my book in some ways by mistake you know that's how Bergman got into it's US like you, you look at an actually, art the, uh, film and it's like oh it's got a naked chick in it reciting poetry naked, naked chick let's sign it it's pornography uh no man this is an, an art film it's not not no but it's it's we'll make it <laughs> so and th no, this is an interesting it, topic you know, so I'm gonna but, jump yeah. off that a little I notice uh because you know I've read these comics, and I notice, uh, especially in the earlier you go, dark unless, fantasy work for, uh, <laughs> stories, like once in the it dark can work again. anthology, there's so. a certain there's a certain hesitancy. I would think maybe it's not really hesitancy, but it, compared to the Avatar stuff, it looks like a certain hesitancy with showing too much nudity. Let's say, like there's always something kind of obscuring a character's, uh, you know, below the belt. Let's say, and when Avatar, when the Avatar stuff came out. There seemed to be a, a jump where it becomes almost like a like a Pasolini trilogy of life thing. Uh, so w was that something that was encouraged uh, of you, or was it something you just decided to do yourself, knowing that when you're with th this publisher, you can just do it, you can just go for it? First of all, kudos just for bringing up your Paolo Pasolini. But I'm talking your story. <laughs> just uh, in look particular. it up. Look it up, kids. If like, you don't were, know. Were you, did you gradually um, anyway, become more uh, comfortable with showing like uh, uh, you know, more nudity was, or more explicit uh, now, are you content? About or is that something that like specifically Avatar, or in general uh, 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 with the, the, the dark fantasy stuff? You know, I, I've never been uncomfortable with the idea of nudity. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that I did my book in the first place was because. You know, looking at, at comics, you know, when I was first becoming reacquainted with them, I, I realized that that, uh, you know, you could have the Punisher standing there blowing people away. He's got this gigantic gun in his hand, you know, committing mayhem and all of these you know, dreadful things going on. Uh, and, and, you know, it's down on the bottom shelf where a kid can reach the thing. But, you know, God forbid, if there's a nipple, then, oh, my God, put it behind a locked door and double seal it and there's you know, have an alpha wave scanner before you can even get to the thing. And I'm like, what's that about? It's a very American thing, or at least it was at that time. Now I feel like we've gone to the completely batshit opposite of that, where our, our our obsession with our own shame has suddenly become a very sick form of exhibitionism, which sounds strange for somebody who did a book with so much nudity to say. But um, it's one of the reasons I said to you in, in my, my letter to you that I feel like maybe my, my story... This, the story the audience has passed my story by because where the, the the culture is at right now just makes me go yeah yeah really anyway back to the question um so i never consciously tried to hide anything for me it again was just sort of the the, the artistic thing of it i you know i i don't ever consciously ever remember trying to go oh we can't show we can't show the naughty bits or whatever you'd like to say um when i went to avatar um, I, I won't say yes. I was like actively encouraged. I, I think William liked uh, my book and, and, and trusted me to do uh, what I wanted with it.
But at the same time, he always responded more favorably when there was something sort of salacious or that pushed that boundary. He was always like, oh, guy, that's hot. That's great. You know, you know, oh, and, dear. <laughs> because, again, I, lo- I love William. He's such he is who he is, you know, um, and he doesn't apologize for that. And a lot of people give him crap and stuff. And, and even if he's not your taste, it's, you know, and, it, and it, he's like, the, I'm going to say this. Don't kill me. He's like Donald Trump of comics. You get what you, you get what you get, and if you don't like it, then you can just go off. So get on the other side of the wall, man. Forget about it. It's you know, um, but you know, again, I, it's what I admire is what you see is what you get. And so you know, again, that you see your publisher and he's so tickled, he calls you up and says, "Man, that scene where you threw this thing, that was hot. That was great." And it's just like with the people that I hung around with with dark fantasy, they responded to certain things, and you fed off yeah. of each other's energy, and you go, "Yeah, yeah I guess yeah, that yeah. was kind of." You know, that was kind of great. And so I got into this different group, which was, you know, uh, much more of a sort of, I don't want to say a locker room aesthetic, but it was much more of that kind of bad girl mainstream, you know, boy, look at the rack on her kind of thing. And, you know, it gets a little, uh, you get a little carried away with it. And um, that was the thing that ultimately gave me my my reality. um, At this point, from looking at book. the books, it uh, seems that you're a so, one yeah, he never show actively came and said, you have to do that. And, you know, I've heard stories from other artists who have said, oh, you know, they, he wants more violence, he wants more nudity, he wants all these things. He never did that with me, so that's what I can say. Unfortunately, uh, it, it, it is, it, it was. Um, it's funny that uh, how that works. It's, it's, it's a, 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 a push-me-pull you kind of thing because I, I, I really like collaborating with people. Um, but at the same time, I have a very strong vision of what I want and what I imagine things to look like, what I want the story to be. And you've got to be a fairly strong creative to push back yeah. with me. But having said that, I really like that. Uh, I, I like – I mean that's I, now I work in advertising. I work for one of the largest ad agencies in the world, and my day-to-day – is pretty much consists of arguing with people about what the best idea is and hopefully winning. Um, and that's kind of the way that I uh, approach everything creative. So uh, people find it hard to work with me because again, I, you know, it's not like I'm trying to overpower or bully them into my point of view, not at all. I just want, if they come back, I want them to have a better point of view where I get, go, I can't dispute that. That's a better idea. Boom. We're going with it. So, that plus, I have to say, of most of the comic book artists that I've met, I love you, ever, I love everybody, but uh, they, they tend to be a pretty lazy bunch. They tend to, to uh, a lot of them that I, I've, I've, I've worked with, which is not very many, um, and I'm sure that the guys who are big, you know, guys are probably just as driven, if not more, but a lot of the people that I met at my level right, right. didn't really um, so want to, let's, let's uh, didn't really about, want to put the effort uh, into it. They, they just kind of, sometimes they would phone it in, um, especially if you point, feel like your ideas aren't being listened to, maybe another series it makes it difficult. Avatar, so I ended up with faults of my own and faults of others being a one-man band because I sort of had to get what I want. It directly continues the story from the Dark Fantasies shorts and the Donamia series, the color series from Dark Fantasy Productions, kind of a fades off into the distance and in the future it will return in a form but for now it has faded away so uh, I, I when I first read this stuff I was very struck by the point of view of this comic in that you er, earlier when you, we had been emailing you brought up um, uh, Horatio Alger and uh, and I was you know th- th- there is quite a bit of that classic American point of view in Dona Mia in that her she tends to she, she's wandering around America she's trying to to find a place to belong a place to 
to be satisfied with her lot in life as yes. a uh, uh, demoness slash succubus who's escaped hell and is trying to to find a way to be. And um, she she's constantly in conflict with these the these upper class swells who are basically vampires. And uh, she she opposes the vampires. And throughout the Avatar series, she kind of comes into contact with uh, I guess archetypical American characters like there's a World War One veteran and there's a, a Vietnam veteran conspiracy theorist and there's uh, sleazy ish small town cops and you know there, there's there's a traveling salesman right before that and etc cetera, etc cetera. and there there's a sort of there's a sort of bemused attitude I suppose she has towards the sort of ground level America and a rather aggressive attitude towards uh, the upper class, let's say. Is that is that a theme that interests you? Am, am I even identifying that theme correctly? Uh, in a lot of ways, you are. Uh, that's That that was uh, part of it. <laughs> now, you know, the way that series came to be was because William said <clears throat> uh, that he, it's one of the things, it's one of the first things that gave me a little bit of pause because he said, you know, I, I, I need you to go back and, and retell the story because I want to do it the Avatar way. You know, I don't want you to just pick up where you left off with Dark Fantasies because people aren't familiar with that stuff. Uh, they need a recap. And I'm like, I don't want to do a recap. I, 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 I want to just keep telling my story. Mm -hmm. There is one particular story, and it just seems like it always happens where every time I'm about to tell this part of the story, something happens and I've either switched publishers or something else has derailed me or, oh, you got to do a limited edition or do this thing in an anthology, and I've never gotten to tell it. It's a story called The Country by Night. Um, and I never quite get around to doing that one. But the whole thing with Donna Mia um, was that, yeah, she's sort of an outsider looking in at this vast, centerless, uh, yeah. well, she was, um, her limitless I mean, after escaping hell, she was, she was that, kept that, that in a sort of stasis even there, uh, somewhere in Europe uh, where she, she was kind of, sort of kind went of sealed, sleep. uh, so that uh, she can't move at all. Her is fairly complicated. I don't know if you want to get into it here or not, but I find it one of the most uh, interesting things about the She's not only opposing the, uh, the vampire um, aristocrats of America, but she's also being chased by a, a very, very sinister, and I have to say, really viscerally terrifying looking uh, uh, emissary of what's basically the Illuminati, I guess, uh, who has the, the Kabbalah's Tree of Life tattooed on her body and uh, terrifying bone legs and she has a, a severed hand and a divining wand she uses to track her. And um, so, so, so Dona Mia is being pursued by this uh, arch-villain who uh, I think only actually shows up in a couple stories, but I, I like her very much. Uh, so that, 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 that's kind of the backstory. She had a, a long period in hell and then escaped and then had a, a long period of captivity and then <laughs> basically escaped again under enigmatic circumstances. In a nutshell, the, the basic, and I'm going to try and keep this quick, uh, uh, hopefully if it's all right with you, to give a little crazy... Uh, because a lot of a lot of this never had a chance to be told, but I, I had I, I'm a, a fan of history. Uh, I read a lot of history, a lot of nonfiction, and uh, I, I have backstory of Donna Mia uh, fleshed out and outlined up through uh, uh, you know up up through uh, as as late as the, uh, the, the 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 French Revolution and the Terror up into the Directory uh, in in France and throughout Europe, throughout Eastern Europe. Uh, uh, Donna Mia herself. Uh, when she thinks about her past, she doesn't remember which one she is. She has two pasts that she remembers equally vividly. 
One is of a spirit who is locked away in hell. Uh, of course, we all know the old uh, uh, chestnut of there was a war in heaven. Angels were cast out. Some wanted to repent and go back and say, uh, you know, we're, we're sorry. And uh, Lucifer basically locked up the gate and said, ain't nobody going nowhere. You stay here until I get back. And nobody ever saw him again uh, uh, wherever he, he, he might have gone. And everybody's sort of waiting. Uh, Donamia remembers a life in this place called the Cave of Sirens, which is uh, the, the place where all of these spirits for the, the, the unsatisfied go, for those who are either sexually voracious or can't be satisfied. And it's a life of unfulfilled uh, need and want. And she also remembers being a little peasant girl uh, in the Friuli, the northern part of Italy, in 1418, at a time that there were three popes. Uh, and nobody knew which church was the true church. And she was raised by the local Piavano uh, in a little town that actually exists called Arba in uh, the Friuli. And uh, her, the, the, the priest uh, mm. referred to her as, uh, you never learn her real name, but he referred to her as Madonna Mia, my little, or Madonnina Mia, uh, my little Madonna. And the peasants teased him that he actually took her in, not out of his, the goodness of his heart, but because he wanted a mistress, because everybody considered, you know, that oh, priests, they're all corrupt and horny and what have you. And so they said, instead of calling her Madonna Mia, why don't you just call her Donna Mia, my woman, and be honest about it. And they would tease him, and he's a local, and he's like, oh, ha, very funny. Um, and uh, at, at a certain point, without going too far into this, um, the, 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 uh, when she becomes a woman and she has her first period, she's baffled by this, of course, the priest being a fairly shy man without a lot of experience with these things himself she says you know Giovanni I'm bleeding what's the matter and he says oh that's a sign of of, of woman's original sin uh, in the garden and she gives her this explanation she can't understand and she goes to the local wise woman who may or may not do this purposefully but she says she's a healer or uh, some people say she's a witch uh, 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 and uh, she says, go out into the field, go out into a, a, a fallow field and put your parts in touch with the earth and the earth will draw the pain out of you. Go out into that field right there. And uh, Donna Mia goes out again, this little starving girl doesn't know anything, you know, uh, and she goes out and it so happens that this place in this field that the witch or the woman sends her to uh, has a place where the skin between the worlds is very thin. And when she sits down and she puts her parts in touch with the earth, uh, the, the, this other dimension which leads into the cave of sirens uh, smells the blood and that draws them out of this, this place in the field, this spot and she's possessed and now when she thinks back she remembers being this demon but she also remembers being this starving little girl who really just wanted to you know, live and, 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 and be good and be righteous um, and uh, afterwards you know, once mm. she's been possessed she gets very sick uh, the Piavano tries to come between her and the villagers. He's killed, and she's orphaned again, and she has to go off. Uh, she wanders off into Eastern Europe, where she finds the gypsies and finds out that she's actually of <laughs> gypsy descent and uh, comes under the servitude, ultimately, of uh, dear old uh, Vlad Dracul, uh, the, of course, the historical uh, Vlad Sepesh, the Impaler, uh, and has a part in the secret history of, uh, of, of his actual historical story so anyway that's more yeah, than you yeah, need to know that's, uh, but uh, that's interesting actually I, I because found her story when i look interesting at uh, because again she herself of, uh, was a split person like time, america in a lot of ways that 
is a, a fragmented country. The There's color, no center to it. When America There's thinks about what we are, it depends on who you are and what you think that means. Places and so detailing now I'm going to shut up. And it seems <laughs> as the Avatar work goes on, it becomes it becomes heavier on metaphor, as in you know teasing these ideas of say um, a woman with a connection to hell as a a metaphor for sort of the. The, the, the guilt and angst that we have inside us, let's say. Was was that something that was becoming more interesting to you as you continued writing? You know, I think it was always something that was kind of interesting to me. I mean, the, yes. the uh, again, I tend to read a lot, so I, I probably put a lot more thought into it than was ever necessary. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, doing what I did with that series, again, it was sort of about uh, uh, both sides of patriotism. Of course, you couldn't tell a story about a World War One vet now because the last there were like two left at the time that I did that that book and uh, and now oh, yes. there are none um, and sort of contrasting between the World War one vet and then Ronnie mm-hmm. the Vietnam vet conspiracy theorist uh, you know was was kind of a, a trail between where we've been and where where we where we more recently were uh, the same thing with the police uh, one of those police was drawn based on my own father uh, a lot of the people in that in that book were actually uh, based on relatives of mine yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so to keep things straight, yeah, um, the three issue came out because for one thing, and having to sort of retell the, my story, um, I got a little bored with having to do that, and so I, I, I wanted to uh, after that, bring another level into it, I guess. Giant um, so yeah, it was, was, it was kind uh, of it was partially me broadening my story, partially me using my dark fantasy stories with some new dialogue and a number of new pages that serve to flesh out the various supporting characters and then after that there is a Donamia issue zero which contains a couple short stories one of which had a little little yep. bit of it published in a dark fantasy issue zero where that was in color and now it's in black and white so were, were some of these stories stuff you were working on like at dark fantasy and you sort of put them to work at avatar well, you know, William was very concerned with getting things out there and keeping things out there. You know, the uh, I'm not a fast artist. To do grayscale on the best of days, <laughs> you know, maybe I could get a page a week done, uh, depending on how complex it was. Uh, William used to call all the time, be like, "Come on, faster, faster! You got to get pages. I got to get pages." And I'm like, "That's I don't want to do that." I used to tease him and say, "If you keep it up, I'm going to do uh, uh, Donami versus Donamia versus the polka dotted jaguar men in the uh, in, in the rattan wicker jungle of death." Uh, you know, it's just it, he's like, "Why do you have to put a, a wallpaper pattern on the wall? Just just draw the wall." I'm like, "No, it's the wallpaper. It belongs there." You know, he was concerned with volume. He wanted to keep things top of mind, which is what a publisher should do. Um, but I just wanted to tell my story. I already felt like the first three issues was kind of a sidetrack um, in some ways that I was ambivalent about. And then he's like, well, while you're doing the, the bigger story, do a, do a short story to go into one of the anthologies so people will remember you. And, of course, every you know, I, I wanted to please him. He was very, very good to me. Uh, and, you know, so I, but, of course, every page I did for that took away from the page I could be doing from the main story. And what I really wanted to do was just tell the story I started out telling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which had so much good stuff in it that we never ever got to. Uh, you know, to this day, you asked about the vampires. The whole thing with the vampires <clears throat> is sort of the idea, I guess, behind yeah. the rich in a way that if you survive forever and you save a dime a day, eventually you can't help but be rich after you live long enough or you, you unlive long enough. Um, 
sort of the idea of these deathless rulers of the world who sort of rule not because they're particularly smart or particularly able, it's just because they've been around for so long. Of course they've got the jump on mortals. Uh, you know, but at the same time, uh, they're sort of smug in their assumption that nobody can touch them. Uh, and then eventually you would meet the other side of that. Um, and uh, I hesitate to talk about it because now yeah, everybody yeah, knows yeah. Uh, speaking a, a, a of lot that, of things actually, that I had in my um, mind. Th this other period in your work, 1997, it, uh, it has what I think of as the main time in like, which you're doing no, actually, a little work I, I, I on stuff that you don't it was a zeitgeist at the time. let's say. Because that Avatar had you do a number of different projects. For example, you drew a buried cover for their obligatory lady vampire title, The Ravening. You, uh, what? Yeah, yeah, you you um you did uh, some pinups for uh, related to Pandora, the the long suffering ostensible main character of Avatar's shared universe, and uh, you did I think a lot of work for uh, trading card sets that I don't think a lot of which were oh, ever right. released because yeah, Avatar right. I, William I, I, Christensen I, I was not that. only like <laughs> president of Avatar, he was the vice president of this enterprise called. Bolt Entertainment that was started up with a guy named Kevin Alsop who was publishing uh, Bud Root's Cave Woman comic. That's uh, right. Thanks, Cave Woman fans, for listening. And uh, yeah, yeah. And um, and so you you're at least named in the advertisements for a lot of different card sets. There's a card set for Bill Mouse's Nira X, a card set for for Warrior Nun Ariala Ben Dunn, a card set for Matt Martin's Snowman. Mike Wolfer's widow. Did, did did you actually do work for like all of these different properties? <laughs> I you know it's, uh, I hate. Again, I, I, I know you, you did the. I know you did something with Warrior Nun I Ariella say because I it turned into I, I never a did anything for uh, for, Wolf, for Mike Wolfer for Widow. Not that I didn't like the book, and Mike is a, a very very nice guy, a hard worker. You know, I, I, I he did grayscale. You know, and I thought, oh, but for one reason or another, I, if, if it was if it was advertised, I never <laughs> I never do it. Um, you know, yeah, it, it seems that that drawing in particular, I, and I never there, there was cover, also a Donamia pinup book, I really because liked Avatar, drawing for a lot. many of uh, the characters uh, there, I Avatar a lot of time would put up a pinup book where kind of everybody in Avatar's and causing black mayhem, book, everyone in William's chopping book would kind of be recruited to do a pinup of a There's one particular drawing you did in the Donamia pinup book where it looks, you'd mentioned before enjoying European artists, and it's all like contour lines and I think that drawing got used for like a leather variant cover at some point and it looks very much uh, a bit like a Moebius drawing you know yeah. uh, all the contour lines and that yeah. and actually the, the Warrior Nun Ariala variant cover uh, looks you know it, it, it looks there's not as much I guess there's more line in it than texture, let's say. And w was that something you were interested in exploring, just kind of almost a clear line sort of look? W was that something you just experimented with when given these almost extracurricular activities? I, I guess I always thought of my, my default grayscale style as being sort of the Donamia style. You know, I, I always thought that belongs to that. And I think, I think if I remember correctly, like I said, it's been years since I've seen it, but uh, like for the... Um, Pandora uh, uh, pinup. I think I did grayscale for that, but I also was really um, my, my obsessive compulsive bone sort of took the took, won the day, and I would sit down when we first started. I was just you know roughing in the figures and then grayscaling them, just you know slapping it together. But I became much more concerned with uh, I guess the the actual 
line itself, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the pattern of the thing. I mean, it almost becomes, uh, yes. uh, uh, you know, a lot of times when you see comic book art, you've got the thicker lines and the thinner lines, and it's all there to show perspective and detail. It, it became this kind of uh, uh, almost sort of cloisonne yeah, yeah. Kind of uh, um, detail all right. for, so for its own eventually, sake. at the end of 1997, there's a collection of Donut Man like making a jewelry there's box a, uh, than, uh, and than, uh, than actually and making a drawing. I, 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 I enjoyed that. So later, there was actually where I did it. And to this day, I'll, I'll still do that. Get in and get do, do really Is that just a lie I heard on the internet? or With these tiny lines in there make things. No, that's... Yeah. I don't have one, but I uh, I, I am uh, unfortunately I wish I did because that's so cool. Because I remember seeing uh, a review uh, from it where I, it, in my I took <laughs> four years of Latin, so I can pick my way through a lot of the Romance languages. And I, I'm I don't speak Italian, but I, I can get through enough that I could read the review. And uh, they actually, of course, got the the, the joke of her name. Uh, you know, without yes, my mentioning yes. <laughs> it, and they're like, uh, so, yeah, "Your name is." All right, now it's, it's, it's 1998, it. and we're nearing Donna kind Mia. of the, uh, like, yes! the climax oh, of things. So At this happy. point, Never Avatar had picked up a uh, managing editor, Mr. Barry together. Gregory. I remember William and telling me it was happening. At the same time, Avatar uh, had that, begun that to publish was, their own yeah, later, uh, house later anthology, the, their the, own the end Dark of things. Fantasies. And, and this uh, was yeah, it came out out there somewhere. If anybody's got a copy, please let me know. I think ran from 98 till 2006 or something, 55 issues, and for a while. It was a monthly series, and uh, Donamia ultimately appeared in two issues: Threshold number four and number nine, yes. I believe. And I'm I'm wondering, did you have any exposure to how Threshold was run? Because this is just a a total mystery and distraction to me. What was like Barry Gregory in charge of Threshold? Were you like answering to him or? Hmm. Oh, you know, I I, I I'll have to. It's okay if you no, don't I'll, remember. No, I have to watch the things that I I, I say. Um, uh, how do I how do I say? Hey, Barry, uh, you you know, mm-hmm. I, Mark uh, and and William are like right hand and left hand. They're like peas and carrots. They they at least when I knew them, I don't know how things are now, but they trust each other completely. They were like family. I mean, they lived together, they worked together, they they were a unit. And uh, in a lot of ways, it's very difficult for other people to to get into that mix uh, and, and kind of move the steering wheel, as it were. And my impression, and this is just my impression, uh, Barry's a great guy. Uh, he's been good to me in a lot of ways, just a really good, in, in my experience, really good dude uh, who loves comics. And he, he wants to see good work come out. And, you know, I think he had ideas about how he wanted <laughs> things done. But just like I said with me and with collaborating with me, I've sort of got a vision of things, and that's kind of what I want by God. And without right, right. meaning so, to contest that, um, I felt like the there was impression also, I got was that there was a lot of went on, uh, sort of another anthology. Because not exactly what, what Avatar is known there were, for there were, these there days, were I think best known for it. They like, do yeah, you got, a number you got of things, but what they're best known for oh, no, wait. is getting no, uh, not, wait, writers. I didn't mean and that. they are primarily so, writers there, there was, who have I feel established like there was a little bit of outside of Avatar and giving them room to basically really cut loose and do what they want. And sometimes sometimes that's just uh, zombie mayhem page after page, and sometimes it's uh, 40-page conversations between H.P. Uh, Lovecraft characters. But whatever. Uh, and 
1998, they're sort of starting to begin that tradition in that at the end of the year, they hook up with uh, Warren Ellis, the British writer, and earlier in 1998, they've hooked up with uh, David Quinn and Tim Vigil, an artist, uh, who had done the Faust comic, which was a, uh, a uh, violent uh, black-and-white uh, semi-superhero horror comic. And what they had done was Tim Vigil and his uh, family had used to run a anthology of their own at their own Rebel Studios called Raw Media Mags, and Avatar seems to have picked up on that, and they actually started a second anthology simply titled Raw Media, occasionally Raw Media Quarterly, and as opposed to Threshold, this is an adults-only anthology with lots and lots and lots of really explicit sex, and in the very first issue of Raw Media, you began uh, a story called A Greek Tale, and it could, could, could you tell me how that story came about? Because it seems like an, an interesting uh, aberration in your uh, work. Yeah, you know, uh, it actually, oddly enough, uh, came out of a quote that if I remember correctly, and maybe he never said this, but I remember him saying uh, in some interview, uh, something that Neil Gaiman once said, where he said uh, that at some point he wanted to try his hand at pornography. Because he said pornography is uh, you're either you're either aroused or you're not uh, that 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 you know with creativity you can you know be sort of engaged with the story sort of, but you know it's like it's sort of either on or it's off and he said and that is actually a real challenge uh, you know and I thought about that and I thought you know that's probably true that it's 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 not like you know some complex story you're telling it either turns you on or it doesn't it's either interesting or it's not. Uh, and I thought, you know, I was going to William. I remember William mentioned I'm going to do this raw media thing. I didn't realize that he got it from Vigil. I had no, I didn't know that story. So thank you for that. Um, but I, I, you know, he said, yeah, you want to do this, you know? And yeah. he's sort of looking at me like, and with his head, you know, do, doing the the, the the chin boogie up and down, like you want to do it, you want to do it, don't you? Boy, I, I know you want to do it, right? And I'm like, yeah, all right, I, all right, you know. And again, at this point, I, I, I sort of felt like I, there were so many distractions, and I'm in this uh, you know anthology and i'm over here i'm doing everything except telling my story uh and there's just only so many hours in the day i mean i was i was working you know 12 16 hours yes, forward. Yes. i'm just like cross-eyed um and he says you want to do this and i'm like ah it might be fun might be a lark i'll go along with the boys sure why not and i thought you know i want to do something that's gonna it, it's gonna have a little bit of history it's gonna have a little bit of story uh yeah but at the same time, it's going to be something that's going to make, you know, if he wants me to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to try and step over the line. So, hey, how about a little, have a little incest, you know? Um, and I actually had uh, two other, uh, it was going to be a three-part thing uh, where eventually you see the heroine's sort of abusive cocksure brother, no pun intended, brother, uh, get, get his comeuppance. uh, uh with this rich girl that he was trying to pursue far beyond his reach. Um, but what I realized was as soon as you get into the gooey biology of it, I just sort of lost interest. I, I'm more interested in the possibility and more in the eroticism of, of things and not so much in the fulfillment. I really don't need to really don't need to see anybody's tonsils. You know? <laughs> so, not that I have anything wrong. Not that I have a problem with it. Quite frankly, I don't see why America, again, is so hung up on the... And again, when you see the, the sort of... Uh, exhibitionism going on these days where every actress feels like she's got to make a sex tape or she's got to be 
nude yeah. on the cover were of Vanity you, uh, Fair. Were you doing, like, you know what, do if that was more, done in what feels like I mean, a healthy way, that would be cool. But I feel like it's sort of sick because obsession there had been, in America by the end with, of 1998, oh, this is naughty, the, uh, this is wrong. There's a story just, in um, issue four of Nonomia. Um, issue four of Threshold, and a story in issue nine of Threshold, which is the beginning of a new serial, a new side story, kind of
all of the uh, all of the narration he's because Donamia usually narrates the comic herself, and I think one of the one of the differences between Donamia and other comics of the time is that she's constantly talking to you. I think occasionally she's breaking the fourth wall and looking at you or addressing you, and in that way, you you, you sort of become. You give this is going to sound extremely woolly, but you give the impression that Donamia <laughs> is is kind of saying it's all right. You can you can you can be with me. You know, I understand you're watching me, and I'm okay with that. As opposed yeah. to the the rather like an like a diff, let's say a different bad girl comic where suddenly oh look she's you're looking at her butt while she's kicking a guy in the nose. You know, or or myriad uh, setups like that. Uh, and so I enjoyed the. Um, the voyeur story because it's narrated by him yeah. but all of his narration is just a long and tenuous justification for everything he's doing that is that that that, that is completely uh contradictory to what we're actually seeing through the art and i i enjoy that in fact that and the threshold four story where it seems donamia is yeah, narrating yeah. the story and it's a a narration of her a metaphoric narration of her angst and then we find out it's actually being narrated by a uh, a character who's kind of in the background who is a uh, a closeted gay man and it's actually a completely literal right. uh speech about his angst you, you seem to become interested in um in playing with uh the narration's connection with the art. Is that fair to say, after a while? Or was that something you were doing to to keep yourself interested in this this lengthy chain of side stories? Uh, there was some of that, of uh, different ways to tell stories. But honestly, uh, that's obviously one of the themes of Donamia is how men treat women. Um, and again, it's one of those places where I say I feel like my, my story may have passed, the world may have passed my story by, because... At the time in 1990, whatever, I'm writing this story, and you know the, the 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 narrator is telling about the shame they feel, you know they 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 can't tell the world. You think, oh yeah, of course you've got a demon inside of you. Oh that that must be a terrible thing. People would kill you. You find out no, it's actually just that you know uh, the, the the character is gay and can't tell that story. Just, and, just you know just just the 90s is to me in 90s in comic books is just a long chain of like a story about the, uh, the, the, the man looking up from her jean shorts uh, at Donamia through the that was telescope in like every and he's completely rationalizing his creepiness he's finding a way he's self-deluded like a lot of continue. you know uh you you meet a lot of men who do this the way that they treat women <laughs> is very self-deluded it's like no no i'm not objectifying her but then at the same time they're they're drawing her like you say you know kicking some guy fighting and the first thing somebody goes oh look at her butt you know you know, but but at the same time, now I I feel like the pendulum is swung in another direction, and I'm going to say this, and if it upsets people, it upsets people. But um, I, I believe that everybody should do what they want, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else, as long as it's true to who they are, and that's always been something as mm -hmm. as, as as a professional outsider myself most of my life. Um, uh, I always side with the underdog. I almost always side with the outsider, but now in the time between 1998 and now a lot of outsiders have become the insiders and I feel like a lot of them are taking revenge for having been an outsider now I've been an outsider but I don't have an interest in you know one of these days I'm going to become great famous and then you'll be sorry you know kind of thing <laughs> um, but uh, I you know when I when I look at uh, things like uh, uh, you know the social justice warriors that are out there now for talking about cisgendered men or uh, this that and the other uh, the pendulum has swung, in my opinion, too far in the other direction, not to say that everyone shouldn't have their rights, but at the same time, uh, payback isn't going to help anything either. And 
I, I feel like I see at least two tribes in America rubbing each other's nose in their culture. And uh, really, I wish people would just sort of, you know, go, go, go to go to their not, not go to their corners, but, you know, be seated, people do your thing. But let your neighbor live and let live, you know. But yeah, at that yeah. time, of course, in 1998, I was interested in those themes about things you couldn't talk about. Um, and I used Donamia as sort of a foil for that. This demon possessed girl. It, it, yeah, kind, kind of kind of was a, a way to keep her from being a victim because you always knew that if she wanted to kill the guy, she could kill the guy. If uh, she needed mm. to protect herself, she could protect herself. She wasn't necessarily helpless. So you could um, still sort of ex explore this so, thing without so it being I, like I, too... <laughs> ugh, yikes, no, you know. no. Uh, the, so, um, I, again, so around this, we, we were talking not, about... But, uh, um, but so now I, I feel like if I told that story, we were everybody would be like, yay! You kind of withdrawn from comics around the time you were doing That wasn't necessarily my intention. I'm just talking about you know, this one person with this story to tell who's got this... It's not a movement, it's a person. I, you know, I, that's what I want to talk about. So, if I'm, if I'm making sense, I don't know if I am or not, but yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. it, you're right. Thank you for getting me back on track. Um, a, a, a funny thing happened uh, with it that was really the deciding factor. Um, yeah. You know, again, I felt like I'd been pulled in all these different directions. I wasn't telling the story I wanted to tell, which was really the thing that was still near and dear to my heart. Uh, and there were there was a, there's still a lot more road to this thing. And we'd gone to uh, what was it? It was uh, oh, it was the Chicago, the Chicago show. Ironically enough, and uh, at the time we had a, a, a model that went around with this uh, uh, as Donna Mia, and she had these great wings that were built by some of the guys from Guar, uh, and uh, uh, she uh, very much had the goth bone, as 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 do I, and. Uh, after the show, she's like, hey, let's go to the Dome Room. Now, the Dome Room was a goth club that was here in Chicago. It's long gone now. But I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. And there were a couple of other artists and William there. And um, and they're like, what? And it's like, no, just come with us. We we're we're going to go. You can, But we'll go without you. And they're like, no, no, we'll go. Let's check it out. <laughs> so we all go over. It's myself, William Christensen, a couple of the other artists. And, yeah, uh, like Donna a record model. scratch. And we yeah. get there. And it's it's goth wonderland, of course. Um three floors this big dome painted with this sort of mouth of this big face of jupiter with lightning coming out of his mouth really cool and we're having a great time Bauhaus is playing or whatever and we're standing on the top balcony and william is looking around next to me he's leaning over there and he goes look at all these freaks <laughs> and i it was something in my head went Err! and i turned to and I said, man, I said, you realize these are the people I want to read my book. And the people that do, the ones here that do, these the people do read my book. And he's like, well, whatever works, you know. And I remember talking about mm -hmm. going to Atlanta to Dragon Con because at that time, I don't know what it is now. Um, Donna Mia model, she was always, oh, Dragon Con, that's, I've been there. And they, they would love us there. They would love us. We get so much, you know. And it was really, it was always about meeting the people that were into the book. And William's like, oh, I don't want to go to Dragon Con at that time. He's like, ah, it's just a bunch of freaks down there and a bunch of uh, you know and i realized that that uh yeah yeah with, yeah you know with with mario as erratic as mario could be god love him he was he was into this aesthetic you know and as organized as william was he kind of wasn't you know he didn't know as the publisher who it was that i was talking to and it was this sort of disconnect and i'm like you know what man and at that time, I sort of felt like maybe I, I should have just stayed and done a little shoestring of books with, with, with Mario at Dark Fantasies. Or maybe I should have gone off and be like, oh, publish yourself. I'm like, are you crazy? 
you know. And uh, it was around that time I started looking at my options. I was just tired. I was I was working all the time, but never telling the story I wanted to. And I uh, just mm. ended up deciding to, to make a clean break from the industry. I called it my old alma mater of Virginia Commonwealth University, and they had just started uh, this mass communications program. And they told me about it, and I had no idea when I applied for it. It was one of the most exclusive and difficult to get into uh, advertising programs in the world. Uh, you know, again, it's a sign of my ignorance. You know, you want to make a comic book? You want your own book, kid? Yeah, sure, okay. Hey, you want to come to the best uh, graduate program in the world for mass comm? Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> and I applied, and, and uh, yeah, I just, I just sort of, that was that. Like I say, I just kind of yeah. folded up my tent and... Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, because yeah. I, I realized also I was. Man, really have you? Um, th th this is else, uh, something I just need I to double check the, because I heard. Very, I heard very on the internet. Uh, looked after heard me in a lot of ways. He was a good that, friend. Um, you know, I, I like many years but, uh, later that you were uh, I somehow involved in a comic book with uh, the Matt Martin, think about, uh, a revival of his snowman you know, uh, character that was at Avatar among other publishers. Is that true, or is that just some some bizarre mistake? And still not telling what I wanted to tell. So. So I left. <laughs> no, it, uh, you know, Matt and I knew each other through Avatar. We were both the two guys who were always late on our books. So a lot of times when we were late on our books, we would, you know, I would go up to Champaign-Urbana. And uh, at the time, I think Matt was living with, with, with uh, William's house that he was never at. And so we ended up in the same room a fair amount. And uh, Matt is sort of this man of very few words. He's sort of a cowboy, you know. He just kind of doesn't say much. Uh, he's a hard-to-read kind of guy. But we managed to sort of bond over the fact that I've always been interested in uh, Native American history, Native American mythology. Whenever anybody talks to me about, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, social justice or Black Lives Matter or anything like that, I say, hey, what about red lives? Oh, that's right, you know, out of sight, out of mind, right? You know, the uh, the original wrong that America committed, of course, uh, was was to uh, Native and First Nation people. And that's something yeah. I've always felt very strongly about. And Matt's book, in a very sort of light fantasy way, yeah. unintentionally was about that. And, uh, you know, or there was there were hints of that, although Matt really didn't know much about it. And he just did it kind of as, oh, here's a cool story about this uh, undead guy or whatever. And I said, you realize there's a tradition for what you're doing. And he's like, no, I didn't know that. And I said, yeah, there's a mythological figure that, that fits this out of Lakota mythology. And, you know, I talked to him about it. And he's like, that's really cool. You know, right, you ought to write it and I'll draw it. And it's like, okay. So I wrote like one mm -hmm. issue of the script and that was, you know, and then like 10 years went by. Uh, and the problem, of course, is that Matt's a terrific artist and a great guy. But he's just slow, like I'm slow. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it just it just wasn't wasn't going to happen. We tried. And it's you again, you you encounter the, the person time and time again in comics where yeah. the thing that scares them the, the, the worst of anything is that they might actually succeed and there might be expectations. So, you know, better to back down off the ladder than to jump off the high dive. And uh uh, if you follow what I'm saying, that's about as much as I guess I'll yeah, say about the, that. The reason I'm asking uh, you about that, this, and this uh, is 
this is kind of an, an the, aside the, the, to the, the audience. I, I, I is, don't um, think the, apparently the I, I don't think fragments the or remnants uh, would have ended of this up working. script I, I, as drawn appeared I, I in a, him, a comic called Snowman Ghost Dance that was allegedly released in 2008 uh, by <laughs> Matt know, Martin himself um, under the genius uh, of Heroplex Comics, which is it, it was yet another comics retailer slash publisher, this time out in Texas. And for the life of me, I you know, couldn't this, even this, tell you this, how much this, it would this, cost I to, to obtain go a copy not, of this comic so. because I can't find any. I'm almost sure it was published at some point, at least in a preview form, but but heaven only knows if it exists anywhere where you can buy it. So that, yeah, uh, yeah. He, so, I so, think so just he told to close like things out, copies. and I think um, I think <laughs> you was, may have uh, already I, I, I answered this like spoiling self, my final question. Thing. But uh, uh, and, do you ever look at comics again? And it was a vague, aside from, from taking in the occasional cross look at comics these days. And then, like I say, we talked about it ten years later, and uh, just a, between a conflict of personalities and of schedules, and just realizing we're both slow as molasses, that was that. But yeah, I, I was I was vaguely involved in it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like I told you in finding you. I've I've got uh, the friends who occasionally will say, "Hey, look at this! Look at that!" Um, uh, mm -hmm. You know the old saying that if you if you want to destroy a hobby, do it for a living. Um, uh, I, I really don't, but then I didn't before I went into comics either. Uh, you know, once in a great while, somebody will send me something or I see something. If You know, sometimes it's a European comic uh, uh, that they go, oh, check out the artwork, check out the style. I actually, a thing I've been working on uh, myself that may or may not ever come to fruition is this strange little uh, uh, dark children's book that's illustrated uh, that, that I've, I've got probably 90% done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, right. I've just well, been um, debating on what to do. Have, do you have any it. final words? Um, of, I've do got you have a message you'd like to give to your readers? Uh, and because I've got things question. that I sort of toy with doing, uh, you know, some people yeah, say, yeah, oh, absolutely. you know, you should look at everything. Anybody and that who, way you who get an idea of what's Don going Amiya on. on I feel like it's like a really good way to teach your story The way I found this comic, by the way, was I was looking through actually that had been passed from retailer to retailer, like family heirlooms. And, and no, don't, there don't, was a don't mix mark up ideas on in my head. one of these boxes. It was from a comic store called Mr. Jake's. And never have I been able to discover who Mr. Jake was or where his store was even located. But what Mr. Jake had was a big stash of early to my readers. Avatar you all, all three books. of them? And in there, I found your comics. And I looked at them, and I thought, this... This doesn't really look. It it, it it sort of looks like it fits into the other things that were being published at the time, but not really. And so that that is what captured my attention. And I think I think huh. these works still exist in the world, so that people have random encounters with them. So anyone anyone who should happen upon these comics, do you have do you have a thought that should be in their mind when they see them? Um, you know. <sighs> Gosh, that's an excellent, uh, excellent question. I guess what I would say to that person is consider this a, a, a little thread of connection across however many miles there may be between us, between uh, the, the reader and the writer. One of my favorite uh, authors, Millard Povich, who wrote a wonderful book or two books uh, that are different only in 17 lines uh, called uh, The Dictionary of the Khazars, said that uh, a reading uh, is a contract between the, uh, the, the writer and the reader. Uh, of sorts. It's a connection. They said it's sort of like two men at opposite ends of a rope, and in the middle of the rope is a, a puma or some other predator, and they have to hold the rope taut, because if either one lets go of the contract, 
then the wild animal is sort of released uh, to, to commit mayhem. But uh, uh, for the time that you're reading it, uh, I, I guess I would say that this is uh, uh, my little message to you about, uh, you know, All if right, you ever uh, feel, uh, you, you know, outside of, for joining us. outside of the mainstream world, uh, if you ever feel like, Oh, gee, I'm all alone in all this. I don't know where my place is in the world. Right. Uh, somebody uh, else good. is thinking about you right at that moment. And for as long as it takes you to read my book, uh, uh, you're, you're not entirely on your own because there's a whole army of us that are 